Hey, Griswold. Where do you think you're going to put a tree that big? Bend over and I'll show you. You've got a lot of nerve talking to me like that, Griswold. I wasn't talking to you. 95.7. At the University of Alabama in Tuscaloosa, this is Aspect Radio. I'm Corey Kraft. And I'm Ben Flanagan. Happy holidays to all of our listeners out there as we wander into the Christmas season. And you can bet that we will work our way into the holiday season with some shows dedicated to some Yuletide glee. Now, Corey, this past week marked an important week for people like you and me, the kind of guys who spend far too long analyzing and complaining about movie award shows, what woulda, coulda, or shoulda happened in categories stretching from supporting actors to sound effects editing. And of course, I'm talking about the release of the National Board of Review honors preceded by the Independent Spirit Award nominations, but we're going to delve into both of those lists later in the show. Not making either of those lists is director Edward Zwick's latest romantic comedy, Love and Other Drugs. Now, the film is set in the late 1990s and stars Jake Gyllenhaal as a pharmaceutical salesman and traveling with Barrio of source. He meets Maggie, who here is played by Anne Hathaway, with whom he has a one-night stand and quickly develops a substantial romantic relationship. Both have their baggage, some of which might be spoiler-sensitive, so we'll try to avoid ruining how it might challenge their long-term plans. Now, Corey, my concern going into this movie has nothing to do with Edward Zwick or either of the two stars. As it tends to do annually and on cue, seemingly this time of year, a little bit earlier, mainstream Hollywood media tends to hail certain prestige pictures as surefire Oscar bets when not a single critic has forged a single review. And you and I are going to talk a lot more about this later, so let's keep the focus on this film. But while several websites and magazines were proclaiming this movie, Love and Other Drugs, as a shoe-in for Best Picture, Actor, and Actress for those to get Oscar nomination in those categories, the film has received a fairly negative reaction from critics. So I ask you, had you never read a single tweet of that presumptive nonsense? Might you have accepted this film for what it really is? And assuming you could do that, what is it? Nah, I mean... Certainly, hyping a movie up uh, one way or another uh, for Oscar nominations or end of the year attention uh, can be a recipe for disaster. But this movie, you know, even if it hadn't enjoyed that very generous pre release buzz, uh, is still pretty bad. Um, yeah, it's just not an enjoyable movie at all. Um, it, like you said, it is a romantic comedy, but it does have aspirations towards other things. Um, and it's not, you know, you mentioned that, that some of their baggage might be kind of spoiler sensitive. It's not. It's the premise of the movie that has been cleverly disguised in these advertisements that don't want to reveal, I guess, the heavier side of the movie. So, I, I mean, I guess I'll... I don't know. I don't think it's as much of a spoiler, so I am going to talk about it if I could, if that's okay with you. It's okay. All right. Um, the, the hook of this movie, so to speak, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal plays a traveling pharmaceutical salesman, and in Hathaway plays this woman, Maggie, uh, a woman he meets in a doctor's office when she is receiving treatment for early onset Parkinson's disease. So it combines this sort of uh, romantic comedy type deal with... Um, I don't know, every melodramatic disease movie you've ever seen. And I'll give it this, it does handle uh, her illness a little bit more tactfully and, you know, less heavy-handedly than I thought it would. 
mostly about the two of them both sort of accepting her condition. Uh, but the fact is that this movie tries to throw in uh, some, you know, light comedy with their romance, uh, some sort of heavy drama with her illness, and then it's a period piece that takes us back to the uh, mid-90s in which uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character's pharmaceutical company, Pfizer, introduces the miraculous drug Viagra. Uh, so the second half of the movie is one extended Viagra joke. Uh, so what it is, is it's a mishmash of tones, uh, none of which it gets right. And though Gyllenhaal and Hathaway can be said to get some pretty sensitive acting, particularly Hathaway, who I would say would be good if she didn't have to deliver some of the lines that she has to you. Um, the movie just never really knows what it wants to be, and it fails at everything. Well, people talk a lot about the charm of these two actors and their indisputable chemistry, and I don't doubt that they have a lot on screen. They've been in a film together already, broke back mountain, where they shared some screen time, and it was good. Good acting on both of their parts. Did you get that reading, or once again, are people simply assuming chemistry thanks to the presence of such famous and likable movie stars? Yeah, there's chemistry there. Yeah. Um, Yellowhall in particular seems to benefit from it, because if he's sort of stranded on screen with, with, you know, a co-star who he doesn't really have chemistry with, he can be lifeless and pretty unbearable to watch, quite frankly. This is one of his better performances in a while, particularly coming off of uh, an instance earlier this year in The Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time, a completely different movie, mind you, but he had a co-star uh, who didn't really, he didn't really gel with, and he was sort of flailing up there amongst all sorts of expensive special effects. It, it was kind of a disaster. Again, incomparable sort of movie, but it just shows that if you surround Jake Gyllenhaal with the right co-stars, such as, let's say, Heath Ledger in Birdpeck Mountain, or even Hathaway in Birdpeck Mountain, and here, uh, he can be good, you know, and he, and he is good here. But again, the screenplay that these two get is overwrought, overwritten, and people, you know, just don't talk like that. So whatever they, whatever they may be doing, you know, it doesn't really work anyway. Well, a lot of people say that the film calls attention to itself in that way, insisting on uh, actors with this amount of mainstream appeal and popularity. They're speaking so bluntly about sex. Like you said, Viagra figures pretty prominently into this plot, um, and they engage in it on screen as well. Again, is it a case of trying too hard where the film is saying, can you believe that the lovely Anne Hathaway just said that? Yeah. Yeah. The film tries too hard pretty much in all aspects uh, of, of that. I mean, I, I believe I said to you a couple days ago, it's pretty frank for an American romantic comedy. You know, you don't see very many movies of the side of Sex in the City that are engaging this sort of dialogue, but much like the Sex in the City films, it is you know, patently unbelievable that anybody talks like this. Uh, you know, again, I don't know about the television show. You're a fan of it. We talked about that a couple a couple months ago when that second movie came out. Uh, but, you know, the issue that I have with filmmakers uh, who insist on shoehorning this frank sexual dialogue and perhaps a lot of nudity into their movies is, is not, I'm not offended by it by any means. It's just an issue of realism. Because particularly in this film, it seems like Edward Zwick uh, is pushing boundaries for the sake of doing so, not because actual human beings would actually ever say anything like that. And, and love and other drugs is just, it, it's, 
Oscar if you're in the right place at the right time and you're the right actress, I guess. And I'm looking over the, these ten actresses. I see Halle Berry. I see Charlize Theron and Monster. Um, other than that, it was Lynn the Reader. Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> but other than that, it's been pretty clean. But to an extent, I really do agree with him. I mean, if you're looking at the late 90s, you kind of have it too. You've got Helen Hunt, Gwyneth Paltrow, Hillary Swank, all in a row. They all get naked in those movies. Uh, I don't know that there's a correlation necessarily that's tangible, but I do believe in these agendas among these actresses and studios to have this kind of content in these movies that will, for, for whatever reason, lead to votes from Academy members. Yeah, you're probably right. I mean, I think there are uh, more pressing uh, elements to those Oscar-winning performances that probably won them the awards in the end. I mean, Kate Winslet did get naked, but she was in a Holocaust movie as well. Uh, but and you could say that she was very good in that movie too, right? Yeah, oh, I like, I really like that movie mm-hmm. a lot. Um, I mean, the one that I think you're spot on with is Halle Berry because I don't think Monsters Ball is a good movie at all, and I don't think that performance is particularly good at all, other than you know her supposed rawness at taking off all of her clothes in an emotional fashion. Um, and really, I mean, Love and Other Drugs doesn't even have any moments like. Yeah. Well, it is there at the Cobb Hollywood 16 in Tuscaloosa, and it is playing 
soloist yeah. was being marketed. A lot of people, that's the first thing they said about this. This is Oscar bait. You have two A-list stars under the direction of Joe Wright, this up-and-coming, uh, very talented director, making his third film. And you have um, this inspirational story where Jamie Foxx, an Oscar winner, is playing a mentally challenged or severely uh, disturbed character. Obviously, he's going to get a nomination, right? You'd think so. You'd think so, yeah. And we, I, I put together kind of a little list here of movies that I think fit this criteria. It has a lot to do with, again, like you said, whatever director is attached, whatever actor and or actress might be involved, screenwriter might play a prominent role, studio, and then you've got your, your plot when you throw titles like Invictus and Hereafter into the mix. You kind of have these inspirational, I guess, uh, titles where you have Nelson Mandela trying to bring a country together through a rugby game, and whether or not that was entirely accurate, you know, it's debatable, I guess. You can watch the 30 for 30 documentary uh, on ESPN to see, you know, how true it was. But the movie, like you said, just didn't really deliver. It's not worthy of it, even though I think the National Board of Review gave Eastwood Best Director. Yeah, that movie. Yeah, and, you know, they've got a lot of love for Eastwood, let's face it. And I use another, use another thing that plays into that pre-release buzz. If, if a movie is announced with a cast or director and it is allegedly scheduled by its studio for a November or December release, people will automatically assume it will be an awards contender. Like last year, Nancy Myers is complicated a movie that certainly did not deserve any of that attention. Uh, just quality-wise, but because of the stars and because of the release date, people just assumed. Yeah, and um, it just seems like uh, it seems like when that film came out or was about to come out, um, Alec Baldwin was getting press as being this sleeper possible winner for the best supporting actor category, and I remember thinking. I, I just, I, I hear that, and it just doesn't sound right. And that probably just started with one of these studio executives at a party saying it to a friend of theirs or a friend in the media saying, you know what, Alex is going to win the Oscar this year in this picture. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, let's just run down this list here. And I made this list, Corey, so you tell me when I'm right and when I'm wrong. Okay, and some of these include movies from this year. We've got Love and Other Drugs, which we've covered already. The Soloists. Well, it was kind of taken out of contention. It mm -hmm. sort of dumped into March. Uh, but the first trailer we saw, but the first trailer to be released in time for the Oscar season. But then, I guess, early screenings, probably. Well, the official excuse was they couldn't afford an awards campaign for it. And, uh, I don't know, Benjamin Button, I think, was another Paramount release that year. You like that one, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that, that also fits this category. But it somehow managed to get nominated for and win Oscars. Yeah. I threw this one on there the next three days just because you've got Paul Haggis, an Oscar-winning filmmaker. I think he won the he won for the script for Crash, not the, the directing Oscar. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then obviously, uh, you know, Million Dollar Baby has success from a script of his. And then you've got uh, Crash winning Best Picture. And then you've got Russell Crowe and Paul Haggis and the release date. And the release date. And it's a drama. Liam Neeson's in it. So you think, hmm, maybe we'll hear about that later down the line. Uh, hereafter, Dream Girls. I know you like that. Well, the thing about Dream Girls, and, and I did want to address this about several titles on your list. Um, if, if a movie comes out, and again, if it's not perceived as being good enough or strong enough, or 
if there has been a certain amount of backlash against it for being the frontliner for so long, it will it will sometimes fail. Dreamgirls is, is an example of that. You've got a couple other movies on your list that we'll talk about uh, that are examples of that. I, I would even say that Cold Mountain is to some degree an example, an example of that. Cold Mountain is not a terrible movie. It's not a terrible movie. You know what? I hated it the first time I saw it. I've come around on it since then. Uh, you know, there's a lot to like there. Yeah. But it's a little overwrought. It is a little overwrought. Yeah. And, uh, you know, both the perception of it not measuring up in one way or another and a backlash against it being the front runner for something. They just had so much prestige. You had Anthony Minghella, you had Jude Law, Nicole Kidman. Uh, Jude Law was nominated. Yeah, and it's only one somehow, somehow. Uh, and you had all these different stars in an incredibly popular novel. Uh, that people loved and were waiting uh, to be translated to the big screen. And it just like you said, it didn't happen because the movie just didn't didn't measure up. Uh, Sweeney Todd, also on this list, uh, that, well, that was probably too weird to have this picture on. Yeah, the musicals were like making their big comeback. And it went out of airspray with the best picture nomination to you. And I was afraid it might have Amelia with Hilary Swank. Um, bad movie. Marinara, directing man about a man in your heart. And this we talked about, it's complicated. We've talked about, you mentioned memoirs of a gay shot. I think that is a glaring example of what we're talking about here. American Gangster, you know, it made a lot of money. You know, it was popular with, with people, but critically, it just didn't measure up. This, this, this was a movie that people were saying, this is going to be the best picture conversation. How do, you, how do you not say that, you know, before you see it? You know, but you can't say it's going to. You have to say it might because of the parties who are involved. I was guilty of this too, Ben. Or like August or September uh, of 2007 before this movie. I saw that movie in the same theater as you, I remember. And I walked up to you afterwards and I was just like, I've already forgotten about this movie. Yeah, it's not so what? Uh, it's not good. But, you know, you put, you know, again, you make your best educated guess based on, on pedigree, based on, you know, what your expectations for the movie are. Uh, and you know, these are all instances, of course, where this has been thwarted because the movie comes out and it's not good. If this movie had been good, it would have been in instantly. If it had been kind of good, if it had been, like, babble level good with, like, 60-something percent on the tomato meter. Oh, I forgot about that one, too. Yeah, yeah. Australia. I like that movie, but yeah, again, thwarted expectations. Yeah, and it didn't make any money. This is a minor example. Cadillac Records. I remember that just getting pretty strong buzz, and might have uh, it might have landed some acting nominations, maybe not Best Picture, but somewhere along the the precursor circuit, I, I have a feeling this one did pop up at least once, but it was just too small of a movie mm-hmm. to really make an impression. Seven Pounds with Will Smith. Yeah, that just ended up being bad. Yeah, it was a turkey rendition with Jay Gyllenhaal, Meryl Streep. Also ended up bad. Charlie Wilson's War. I don't understand this one. You still, it's, it just kind of came out and, and nobody went to see it. And, and somehow the awards giving bodies, whoever they are, said, well, I guess if, you know, America didn't like it, then we don't like it either. But you liked it? I like it a lot. That's all right. It's just okay. Bill Hoffman's good in it, but again, I think that that's a nomin- that's kind of like a obligatory nomination for a guy who just won it recently because he's sort of stretching. He's he, he's sort of uh, changing his physical appearance in the role, right. and, but he's fun, you know, fun enough. Yeah, fun. Uh, the Good Shepherd, directed by Robert De Niro, Matt Damon, Angelina Jolie, a bunch of folks in that one. And it was, I mean, I love this movie. This made my top ten of two thousand six. Um, it was just too dry and too slow to ever make an appearance anywhere. Uh, North Country. 
Charlie's there on a nomination because I don't know if you got it now. It's supporting actress. Yeah, and finally, we had Jarhead. Uh, expectations subverted. It wasn't the movie that people expected it to be. It was weak. I like it. It's weak. I like it. I'm, I'm not a fan. And, you know, I, I always want to give Sam Mendes a chance. I really do. Because I, I love American Lady. Revolutionary Road could be on this list. Yeah. Probably so. Of, of movies that just didn't measure up. Yeah, and you know that that didn't land the best actress nomination. A lot of people thought it would for Kate Winslet, and she, of course, instead got the nomination and win for the reader. When a lot of people thought she was going to get a supporting actress nomination, right. so a Jarhead. Yeah, again, I thought it had a pretty good trailer. I was digging it, and again, uh, Sam Mendes, I think, really just sort of has yet to play at the level that he did with his first film. And you're a fan of Away We Go and Road to Perdition. Yeah, I really like both of those. You like. I can't remember which side of the fence you're on in terms of Revolutionary Road. I don't like it. You don't like dislike. Strong dislike. Yep. Okay. And how did you feel about Jarhead? You said you kind of. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I don't love it, but it's good. <laughs> I was really disappointed. But uh, anyway, I mean, that sort of rounds out the list. There are a lot more. I kind of stopped at uh, whatever year that came out. Was that a five or four? That was a uh, five. North Country and Jarhead were a five. Numbers of Vacation was a four. And I feel it for no, Numbers of Vacation was a five. I feel like there's something that we're not thinking of, and I'm sure there's a lot, but I, I mean, when, when, it, when it comes down to it, I mean, there are all sorts of intangibles that you do have to take into account when you're when you're making your Oscar predictions. You know, you might just throw something together at the last minute, but uh, it, I mean, like you said, it does sort of take a, a lot of time, sort of looking at patterns. And so, judge, judging by the patterns, then, do you think, and this is sort of unscripted, I'm screening this on you, do you think that there's anything that we haven't seen yet that could end up in this in this list, you know, this year? No, I think, I think that the list that you and I have sort of thrown out there and much of what we've seen on the National Board of Review list sends a couple of titles. I think those are the ten titles that we're going to see in the Best Picture category. We'll talk more about those lists in, in a moment, yeah. Um, so let, we'll take a quick break, I guess, uh, and then when we come back, we'll take a look at what will be nominated for the Oscars in 2010 by breaking down the National Board of Review Awards and the Independent Spirit Awards nominations. Stay with us. This is Aspect Radio. If you please, Mr. Scrooge, it's gotten colder. Yeah. And the bookkeeping staff would like to have an extra shovel full of coal for the fire. We can't do the bookkeeping. Yeah, all of our pens have turned to inksicles. Yeah. Our assets are frozen. How would the bookkeepers like to be suddenly... Picture of the year, I think 
interested in seeing that movie eventually. It just seems like more of a director showcase than you know, a screenwriter movie. Well, the Independent Spirit Awards also came out and quickly running through that. Anything sticking out from those nominations? Just the fact that Winter's Bone is doing as well as it is, both with the NDR and Independent Spirit, uh, should sort of it should indicate you know a broad level of support for that movie. That it's a small movie. Um, I think that's, that support's going to get it into the Academy Award nominations. I think it's a lot right now. I really do. I think Winterstone is going to get nominated. I think the critical reception was just too strong, and the DVD release obviously is helping its case. So, and it's showing, it's going to show up on not only is it's going to be a precursor monster, I'm telling you, and Jennifer Lawrence too is going to benefit from that. Looking at the Independent Spirit Awards also, I see that you've got all these movies that are going to end up being on this best picture list. I really do believe so. I think Black Swan and 127 Hours are going to be there. But I see that King's Speech got left out of a lot of the major awards, including best picture. I don't think Colin Firth got a nod either. I don't think he did either. Interesting. But it is. I, I, I would hesitate at this point to say that that appears to be uh, a sign of waning support for that movie. Uh, because it hasn't really expanded, and, and you know, there's the, it's a long race, you know, to the uh, to the Oscar nominations. Anything can happen, uh, but I I don't, you know, I'm not calling anything a lot to win at this point. Uh, I think King's Speech remains popular with critics. It remains popular with audiences, and it, it's by all accounts a crowd pleaser. So it's it's not wise to rule that out at, at, by any means at this point. Well, quickly. Very quickly, let's talk about what's new on DVD this week. Inception. Okay. I'll do that. That's it. I mean, you, we've talked about it. If you, yeah. if you don't know what we think about Inception, please listen to one of our, our previous shows. Yeah. Multiple shows on that very film. Inception um, on Blu-ray. On Blu-ray. I can't wait. If you were unlucky enough to miss that in theaters, uh, Blu-ray is the way to go. Absolutely. Opening Nationwide in Tuscaloosa at the Con Hollywood 16 this week. The Warrior's Way with Jeffrey Rush, Kate Bosworth, and Danny Houston. That's all you need to say about that, really. Playing in Birmingham is Doug Lyman's Fair Game, starring Naomi Watts and Sean Penn. Which theater is it playing at? I believe it's the Ray of Lee Branch. Okay, perfect. I'm looking forward to seeing that. I'm going to try to catch it this week, definitely. Well, you can email any of your feedback to 90.7movies at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Aspect Radio or twitter.com slash Aspect Radio. You can download this and other episodes of the show on our blog at aspectradio.tumblr.com. We'll also post the podcast on Twitter and Facebook. And you can now find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash aspectradio. So head on over, become a fan by clicking the like button. Check us out on AOL.com, the state's number one news and information service. Just scroll down the homepage for the entertainment section or search Aspect Radio. Don't forget to visit our friend Matt Scalici's website, filmnerds.com. Many thanks to WVUA station manager Claire Brucker, program director Chris Dotson, and production director Cliff Kyle, and our friend Brandon Andrews for their support and contributions to the show. And until next week, I'm Ben Flanagan. And I'm Corey Graff. This is Aspect Radio. Thanks for listening. All right, I'll get that kid eat. Where's my screwdriver and my plumber's helper? I'll open up his mouth and I'll shove it in. Right,